Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 198 of the Flying Free Podcast. A couple of months ago, I bought a book on Amazon called Attached to God. And I do not remember what rabbit hole I was exploring when I found out I found it. I, I don't remember if someone recommended it or what, but I bought it and I buy a lot of books. I probably buy one to two books every week and I always start them. And if they entreat, they have to really hook me in. Otherwise I just, I discard them. I just feel like I don't have time to waste on a book that I don't like. So I'll buy them and I start them. And I, when I bought this one, I could not put it down. I finished it in a week. And then I wrote to the author who I'm going to introduce you to in a second to see if he'd be interested in coming on the show. And today's interview is the result. So Crispin Mayfield is the author of Attached to God, and he is a licensed professional counselor. He also co-hosts a podcast called The Prophetic Imagination Station. Is this an allusion to uh, Adventures in Odyssey? Yes, it's it's an allusion to Walter Brueggemann uh, is this like Old Testament theologian wrote a book called uh, The Prophetic Imagination. And so we tied that with oh my gosh. like Adventures in Odyssey. And yeah, that it's is been, hilarious. It's a lot of fun. OK, so you and your wife do it. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. And basically we're like looking at evangelical media that we grew up with. Um, so we started with Adventures in Odyssey. We looked at like this present darkness right now. We're oh, my gosh. A DC talk album, um, you know. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That is hilarious. OK, so I would have been immersed in all of that. I graduated in 85. So okay. I was in high school then, and I think, I think you're young, a lot younger than I am, yes. <laughs> but you're still kind of looking at some of the things. I mean, the, the, my kids grew up with a lot of the things like adventures and odyssey. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I read this present darkness and I was totally into all the pop Christian stuff. Okay. Uh-huh. So yeah. I need to go listen to your podcast. Cause I think <laughs> I'd probably get a kick out of it. Do you, do you, is it, do you guys try to be funny too? Or, or uh-huh, is it yeah. serious? Okay. It's, well, it's, it's funny and serious. Uh, it's, it's all of the above. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you, and you bring up, do you bring other people on to talk about it, their experiences mm-hmm. with it or. Yeah. Yeah. We hit on like just a lot of the different like themes and stuff. Um, okay. and so, yeah, we'll kind of like pick out a theme and then interview someone that know is an expert in that area a lot of times or uh, that sort of thing. So, okay. yeah. Can you off the top of your head, what is, what's the episode that has been the most popular or the most intriguing for people? Do you think? Um, that is it, right now my, we're about to launch, uh, the DC talk, um, Jesus freak okay. season. Um, I think that one is going to resonate with a lot of folks. Um, yeah. and so, but I, I would say beyond that, um, actually like related to a lot of the themes you talk about, um, there are a couple of episodes where we talk about redeeming love because um, we did a Christian romance season. Yes. And so. Oh, um, my word. So, yeah, I would I would suggest going. We talked about the book and the movie. Um, so just look at Prophetic Imagination Station, Redeeming Love, and you will find those episodes. OK, we will put those links in the show notes for sure. 
Well, the reason why I wanted to have you, first of all, welcome to the Flying Free Podcast. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> We're glad to have you. for asking me to come on. So most of my, most of the listeners here are Christian women who have experienced tremendous amounts of trauma due to emotional and spiritual abuse in their churches and their homes. And because of this, many of them struggle with whether or not God sees them or cares. And they often will say things like, this is how they they articulate. I believe in God, but I don't really necessarily feel his presence. I don't really know for sure if he's with me. And I, I think your book addresses some of the underlying reasons for that, as well as practical ways to help remedy that situation so that people can feel attached to God in a healthy way. So I'm wondering if you can first tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this particular book. You're a licensed professional counselor. So you have, I love how you married the idea of, you know, counseling and therapy and attachment theory to, um, to this idea of, of God and our relationship with God. It's amazing. So tell us what was going on behind the scenes for you personally, when you decided. Yeah. Um, I, some of it was, I was just reading this attachment theory about what, what happens between parents and children, um, and what, what a healthy parent child dynamic looks like, what an unhealthy parent child dynamic looks like. Um, and a lot of that was processing my own trauma, um, and my own experience growing up. And so it, it was recognizing it makes so much sense that if you in childhood go through emotional neglect or emotional abuse, you have this sense of like, I'm not lovable, I'm not likable, like other people wouldn't want to stick around, they wouldn't want to be near me. Um, and so I was looking at that. And, and I was recognizing not only is this true in my own healing process and recognizing how it showed up in my human relationships. But this is also a lot of how I feel like God feels about me. And so mm -hmm. um, it just really started to like make sense that, that this, this feeling like God is disgusted with me, that God doesn't like me. Um, when I understood that through attachment language, or through attachment theory, I was like, oh, it was kind of validating in a way of like, oh, this is just naturally how we end up feeling. Um, yeah. And so that then made me think, okay, if this is how I'm feeling, what are the abusive uh, messages that I've gotten from the church growing up? Um, and so that was kind of where I went next, because a lot of people have these feelings of, you know, God doesn't like me, God, um, wants me to be better. Like for me, I always felt like growing up, it was like, God was holding on to me because of who I would become in heaven. Like this yeah. perfect heaven version of Crispin, like God likes that version of Crispin. Yeah. Um, and so I just have to go through my whole life feeling like God is always disappointed in me. Um, in, you know, for, for that to like, finally get to this point where I could be loved and, and find belonging. Yeah. And so, um, just recognizing, oh, like I actually got those messages, um, from my upbringing and they're not healthy messages. And that made me want to go back to scripture and ask, is there better news here than like, right. God likes you if you're perfect um, and don't worry, God is making you perfect or God will make you perfect in the future. Cause that doesn't actually 
help me, you know, as a teenager, like needing to know that I'm loved and needing to know that God is there, even if I really, you know, feel like there's a lot about myself not to like. Right. Right. Um, I love how you put in your book, you have different quotes from different Christian people that we probably all recognize. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and I, I realized in profound ways, all of these different people, they had the same kinds of messages. So it wasn't even just our parents. It was right. all the people that we were surrounded by in Christian culture that were all giving the same, telling us the same thing about God and our idea of, of God. It, what was, it, I, I think was very abusive. He, this mm-hmm. God was very, it was a very abusive God. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably why, yeah. why it was well, hard to attach to him. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that was really important to me. That was why I spent lots of time going back through and like reading these, you know, authors and leaders and um, theologians, because in the church, a lot of times, if you have a problem, like say, say you go to, you know, a pastor and say like, I have a really hard time trusting God. Um, A lot of times the message that we're given is, well, that's because of your issues. Yes. Right. Like, and it, it has this gaslighty feel to it of like, no, like you should be able to trust God, even though like God has been presented as this really wrathful uh, person that is just waiting to throw you away and punish you. Yeah. And it's like our bodies know that is not safe. And so then then we end up in this place that's like, you know, actually have a hard time trusting God. And then people will say things like, well, it's because you grew up in a dysfunctional family or whatever. I remember um, I had, uh, had coffee with a friend one time. And I said, you know, I I grew up in a dysfunctional family. um, And I'm worried that when I talk about the, the, the experience, my experience in the church, that people are going to, you know, dismiss it and say, well, that's just because your family was dysfunctional. And he was like, I think because you grew up in a dysfunctional family, like you have an eye for this, like you like you can see it more clearly than other people. Yes. So when it's like, oh yeah, this is a God that cares more about their image than actually your well-being. You know, the sort of narcissistic parent God. Yep. He's like, yeah, you you know what that's like because you lived it, and you're able, you're a gift to the church to say, hey, something's off here because this feels more like my dysfunctional family, totally, than a healthy community. Yes. That's, I I love that. I love that your friend said that. I actually did write down some of these comments, some of these quotes, um, just because, and I was going to insert this in a little bit later in the interview, but I actually think it's a good spot (laughs) to insert them now. Um, here's just a couple of quotes. Um, John Piper said this, it's right for God to slaughter women and children anytime he pleases. (laughs) Actually, John Piper, you can just go do a little Google search and he's got literally millions of quotes like that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was the pastor or the church that excommunicated me was his church. Oh, okay. so, yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, Oswald Chambers has written and I was a big I was a huge Oswald Chambers fan. I read I had his book and I like it was dog eared. My mm-hmm. mom gave it to me when I was younger and. It was like part of my daily devotions for years. He wrote, um, if through a broken heart, God can bring his purposes to pass in the world, 
then thank him for breaking your heart. Uh, that I, I remember that quote. I was all in on that. Mm-hmm. John MacArthur, lack of joy is a sin for the child of God. And then you wrote, what does this mean for the countless Christians who'd struggled daily with depression? Mm-hmm. And then one more I wrote down here, um, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer said, one of the surest signs that you've never met God is that you feel pretty good about yourself. And then, Mm -hmm. and then you write, this means either that getting close to God requires feeling bad about yourself first, or that getting close to God causes you to feel bad about yourself with our attachment glasses on. We can clearly see that neither of these is a sign of a healthy relationship. So can you, can you tell us a little bit? I'm sure I I hope those resonated with people. And those of you who are listening, you can probably think of things that you learned or were taught that kind of almost became like cliche in your mind that this is, and it's just a given that this is just what we believe in Christianity. And it's not true. Um, (laughs) Tell us what attachment theory is just in case people don't know, like what is like a broad overview of that? So basically it's this idea that we are, we are driven to connect with um, a, you know, our parent and we will do whatever it takes to get that connection. And so um, we will adapt to what they need as a parent um, in order to get that connection. So um, for some parents, it's like, I will only pay attention to you if you get really loud and really big and your emotions get really big. So then we learn to be really clingy. Um, for other people, it's like, maybe if you grew up with parents that were really uncomfortable with emotions, it's like, I'm just going to stuff my emotions down because that means that I won't get rejected or shamed by them, um, that sort of thing. And so we all have these different strategies. And then we end up using those same strategies often in our marriages, in other relationships, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, and, and also I just want to say a quick caveat um, is that to have a secure, healthy relationship with your child, if you're a parent, um, you only have to get it right actually like 30% of the time. So, um, I'm glad you said that. Yes. (laughs) So there's lots of room for failure and there's actually like a lot of, um, research out there that rupture and repair is really important. Yeah. But one of the key pieces is like, are you able, you don't have to get it right, but are you able to listen to your kid and, and take in their perspective and, and talk through it? So, um, Yeah, especially if you've been thinking of religious communities, uh, church communities, it's like, I can think of church communities I've been in where it's like, you didn't have to get it right. But, but it was more when I came to talk to you, like to work it out and you were just like super defensive and like, couldn't hear me. That's, that's where that insecure attachment piece comes in. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, And even, I know there's a lot of women probably listening to this who, as we've gotten out of that kind of environment and that culture, but we were raising our kids in it. We raised Mm -hmm. our kids in it. And then Mm -hmm. we look back and go, Oh my gosh, I totally screwed up my children. And there are things that we did wrong, but I will say this. Most of us did know how to repair. Mm -hmm. Most of us actually did when we, when we crossed that border or crossed that line where we thought that our kids had to be perfect. We had to make sure that they sat quietly in church and looked like little stair step, you know, kids and were quiet because 
if they didn't look good, then we didn't look good. And then, you know, then people wouldn't love us and we wanted to be loved. I mean, I don't think we ever right. articulated this consciously, but I think that was what was going on underneath. But um, I think I've had to go back to my older kids, especially I'm raising my, I have a lot, I have nine kids. So there's, and they kind of are at two separate families in, in a way, my older mm -hmm. kids were raised in the really hyper conservative culture. And then my younger kids are, you know, I've never spanked two of them. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I love that, but so it's a little messier with the younger kids, but honestly, they're more vibrant and alive in themselves, you know? So mm -hmm. I think the fruit of that in the long run is going to be more amazing, but my older kids I've had to go back to and just apologize and do that repair. I love that word repair, mm -hmm. do that repair work with them. And that makes all the difference in the world, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, my, you know, I've got my notes open and they all of a sudden switched. It's so weird. I don't know what happened. So hold on. Let me find where they are again. I saw right. it. I'm using Evernote <laughs> and all of a sudden the whole thing blanked out and went to a completely different note. Mm -hmm. Okay. I found it. Okay. So, um, can you, t there was this experiment and I've heard about it before I read your book, but I love, mm -hmm. but this experiment, the still face experiment, can you talk about that? Cause that is a fascinating experiment. Yeah. So it basically what they did was they had a, a mom and like an 18 year old infant, uh, 18 month old infant. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, and uh, hang on a second. I just accidentally pulled my headphones out. Um, okay. So they had this infant um, and then, uh, and the mother and they were interacting. And then what they asked the mom to do was to just stop engaging. So the mom was still there, but her face just went blank. Um, and so then the infant is like pointing around, cooing, doing all the cute things that babies do to get attention. Um, and the mom's face just stayed blank. And so over the course of like, basically a minute the baby goes from like you know we're okay to like really upset because mm -hmm. mom is there but mom is not responding and so what they've what they find is we have you can you can look at that tape and see there are all these strategies we do to try to get connection and by the end the baby is just totally melting down uh, and what we see there is that we when we lose that connection we melt down and yeah. um it's actually interesting because um the the person that did that experiment made a video more recently where um he did it with sue johnson who's a couples therapist and they looked at some tape from one of her couples and they put them side by side. So this is what babies do when they lose connection, but this is what couples do when they lose connection. Um, it's really oh my word. Is that online just, somewhere? Uh -huh, yeah. You can just Google love sense um, on YouTube. And so um, it's, I, I, in, I do training sometimes for um, people in ministry and we watch those. And, and then we think about what are the strategies people use to try to get that connection with God when it feels like God is absent. Wow. That because, is incredible. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, when we're in that place where it's like, I don't know if you're there um, as mammals, we do this thing called primal panic uh, where <laughs> We get really anxious. Um, and that's from a scientific standpoint, that's because 
as humans, we are meant to live in a herd. We don't survive very well on our own. And so yeah. when it feels like that relationship is in jeopardy, it actually can throw us into fight or flight. And when we're in that place, then we do things like we, we get really clingy or like I said, we, sometimes we get really standoffish, but that's because um, that's a way of staying close. If you had a parent that if you got too clingy, they would push you away. Then you actually learn to shut down because that's how you learn how to keep the people you need close to you. Oh my gosh. My brain is just exploding with, I, I can think of so many things in my life where I've reacted. Even I remember uh, my mom used to give me the silent treatment a lot. So, um, so that's kind of a trigger for me, but I remember when I was trying to get out of my relationship with my ex, I was trying to get the church to understand what was going on. And I would send them an email and I would just pour my heart out mm -hmm. and nothing, they wouldn't, they wouldn't respond. Mm -hmm. I got nothing. So that was like still face. Mm -hmm. And I did, I felt panicked and I was absolutely terrified because I thought they, I must've done something wrong. I must've said something wrong. I must be a really horrible person. There's so much shame um, and not really even sure what to do to, uh, I would apologize. I'm so sorry that I wrote that. I'm so sorry that I, did I write too much? And, you know, I mean, it was just awful. Yeah. But, um, okay. So it, do, do you think that our attachment to God comes mostly from our relationship with our parents? Or do you think that it's like, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, cause that's a lot of, uh, what is kind of believed out there. That's, uh, some of the research supports that. Um, but I think when we look at some of the themes that we're given, you know, like those quotes I read, right. We're just raised in this, uh, many of us are raised in this culture that tell us from an early age, um, you know, we just think about some of the, the way that the, 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 American evangelical gospel is kind of presented. It's like, God needs you to be perfect. Um, you're not perfect. And so you can put this Jesus mask on um, and then God will let you close. Right. Yes. Um, and so, you know, especially if you grew up in that, that just becomes so deeply ingrained that we learn. Yeah. If I want to keep God close, I need to perform the right way. I need to do the right things. Um, and if I can't, then at least there's grace, but having grace, um, the way that that is presented is not in a way that helps you feel loved or gives you a sense of belonging. It's sort of like you're being loved despite who you are. And, yeah. um, and I don't think anybody wants to be like, I don't want my, my partner to love me despite who I am. <laughs> right. Like, exactly. You, you're horrible, but I'm going to stay married to you. Um, right. You know? And so, so I think it really creates this impact in us of feeling like there's something really wrong with me that I'm not lovable, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But it's also worth mentioning that our, the, our picture of God is often correlated with the way that we parent. And so, um, so the, the picture of God that you're brought up with is going to fall in line with the way that your parents parent you. Um, and so at some point it's like they, they tend to kind of go hand in hand if you grew up in the church. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was a story that you told in your book about an image that God gave to you of a mother and a child that kind of helped you with how you wanted to, or what resonated mm -hmm. with you about who got, who you felt like God needed to be for you. Uh -huh. Can you tell, tell that story to us? 
Yeah. Um, it was, this was a few years ago and, um, and I was just, I was, I was going through my own trauma therapy, um, and just, just going through a lot at that time, a lot of shame coming to the surface. Um, just feeling like there's something really broken and wrong with me that, um, it's, it's hard to imagine that anyone would want to love me. Um, and so I woke up and my wife was like, why don't you go to this, uh, Catholic garden, um, and just like take some space. Um, so I did that and I was walking around and, um, I, I felt like I was just telling God, I'm so tired of you judging me all the time of just always being disappointed in me. This is exhausting. You say that you love me, but it never feels that way. Um, and I saw this, uh, picture of a statue of Mary and Jesus. Um, and I felt like God said, this is like you and me, you can cry, you can, you know, I'm just going to hold you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm not judging you. And, uh, so then I was walking a little bit more. I was like, that doesn't fit at all. The theology I was given, um, you know, for one, thinking of God as father, uh, but for yeah. two, if you're in these spaces, there's always that, like that, um, yeah, God is love, but right. Yeah. And God is love, but you know, God is, is judging you and God will, God wants to see more from you and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and so I just felt like, you know, I just, I can't, it seems like it would be heretical to let go of that part, but I walked into this chapel and I was sitting there and I was telling God, like, you know, give me a sign. Um, yeah. and, uh, in this very quiet chapel, this mom and baby walk in and the baby is just like wailing and the mom is like holding the baby. Um, and it just, to me, you know, was this picture that I could take with me that God is, God is with me. God is holding me. God is not judging me. Um, you know, just in the, like, if you're a parent and you put on those parent lenses, like you get it. It's like, yeah, I don't have to approve of everything my kids do or know that they don't, you know, like they need, they need help and they need guidance and they need coaching, but I'm not judging them. I love them so much. And yeah. I would say like becoming a parent um, was one of the biggest shifts for me to be like, oh, maybe if I could borrow even a little, like a 10th of the way that I feel about my kids, <laughs> yes. attribute that to God, that would so shift the way that I've been told God sees me. Yes. You, in your book too, you give a lot of really practical um, exercises that you can do to kind of, to create those shifts in your brain. Um, I have actually even took one. I was recently speaking at a conference and I actually gave one of those examples to the women and they loved it. Um, mm. It was the one where you think of a person, uh, someone who does someone that, you, that, that loves you, that you mm -hmm. already know loves you, maybe a good friend or your husband, mm -hmm. or actually for these women, it wasn't their husband, but, but someone, <laughs> yeah. someone who cares about them <laughs> yeah. and how they look at you. If they haven't seen you for a long time, I think it was, or mm -hmm. how their expression would be if they saw you for the first time after a long time. And then to imagine God having that expression and looking at you that really resonated with the women. And I just mm -hmm. want to say that you, I noticed that you had several example or several exercises like that in the book. 
that were really helpful. And I think you even had some that were specifically designed for each type of attachment problem that someone might have. Mm -hmm. So I don't, so there are three attachment issues that people have. There's that that could be problematic an anxious Mm -hmm. attachment, a shutdown attachment and a shame filled attachment. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if, I don't know if you off the top of your head, you can think of like an example of maybe to, of ways to heal each one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the, with the anxious attachment style, that tends to be that idea of like, I have to work really hard to make this relationship work. And so finding ways to practice spirituality in ways that are actually restful is important for me, <clears throat> kind of going along with the story I just told. Uh, for me, quiet time, right? We have that like idea of quiet time. Quiet time was uh, the time that either God was going to tell me here are the things you're doing wrong yes. um, or here are the things that I want you to do right people talk about like marching orders you you know yeah um and what I found through the research is that um healthy parent child uh dynamics there are times where you just spend time together it's not about doing anything it's not about toward any goal it's just you know it's like with my son who's seven when we hang out and play games or like tell jokes or whatever right. um And it really takes some intentionality to figure out what does that look like if my whole life has been uh, time with God is towards some goal or end. Um, So I like to encourage people to just set a timer on your phone for like five or 10 minutes and just say like, God, this is a time I'm I'm giving to you. Um, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to notice, you know, if I could be outside, notice some beautiful things. Um, but it's not about this. Is, this isn't like you have to hear something from God. Um, right. This isn't like you have to take something away from it. Um, it's really just about being present with God and saying, yeah, this is just time that I'm going to spend with you. Yeah. Um, even just, me, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, and for me, it's even like, it's kind of an act of faith. Cause it's like, okay, like I'm not being productive and is yeah. that okay? Yeah. Oh, totally. I was just going to say too, along with that, even taking a walk, sometimes I, I used to think of taking a walk as I'm going to just going to go take a walk. Mm-hmm. And now I think I'm going to take a walk with God. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. I like the idea that when you're taking that walk, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be about anything. You don't have to come home and go, okay, these are the five things that God showed me on my walk. Uh-huh, <laughs> I'm going right. to journal them uh-huh. and then make sure that I implement them over the course of the next week. Mm-hmm. It's just, I just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Just being with God and mm-hmm. knowing that um, I was talking to someone too, recently too, about finding, finding things that, that, you know, this is like a wink from God, or it's just Mm -hmm. like, for me, it's, um, Cardinals. If I see a Cardinal, I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. a wink from God to me. Uh It's just, is it silly? Maybe, but for, in my brain, it really resonates and helps me Mm -hmm. to connect. So I love that. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I think, yeah, figuring out like ways of engaging spiritually that are like that, that are life-giving and not just like another thing that I have to do. So, so yeah, that's, I mean, I have a few, like you said, I have a few exercises throughout the book, but, um, but yeah, that's one of the go-to ones for, if you have that anxious attachment style, if you have a shutdown attachment style, um, that tends to be where it's like, I 
especially my negative emotions um, are not okay. It feels like if I'm sad or worried or upset, that's going to be a threat to my connection with God. Um, and so thinking about the John MacArthur quote where he says, you know, if you, if you don't feel joy, then you're not a true Christian, something yeah. along those lines. Right. And so that, that means that I have to like stuff down the negative emotions. Um, and so what I suggest there is, um, is taking an approach to scripture of, um, noticing this, the story and the people in the story, um, because when we shut down our emotions, we tend to go a lot more towards like a logistical, like systematic evaluating, like what is this saying in scripture? Um, and so trying to like step into the story can be a really different way. Um, especially if you grew up in that church, um, or have spent time in that church that mostly just like preached from Paul, uh, because they're like yeah. these didactic statements that you can say, right. Um, but yeah, scripture, there's so much story there. And so I think that can be a really different way of engaging spiritually. Um, and there's also like more, even like practical things in the book about, um, people that are like, I don't know how to engage my emotions. Um, I have a mm -hmm. lot of experience with that. So, uh, working with people in therapy, um, and then in terms of the shame filled, so this is this idea that there's something at my core that is rotten and broken and drives other people away. Um, this is what was so striking to me. I'm, I'm just going to give a little tidbit here uh, before we go to the exercise. Um, what was so striking to me is as I was doing the research, I found that uh, kids that have been through emotional abuse and neglect had this feeling like their heart was dirty or black or rotten. Um, and I thought, wait a minute, this was the stuff. This was what I was told in Sunday school. Yes. Um, and like, is this a coincidence? Like what is going on here? Um, so actually I, I went into some of the history about, uh, some of those metaphors and images and found that, um, the theologian Charles Spurgeon, who really promoted a lot of that idea of like, you're like kind of the core of you is, is rotten. Um, the, the people that he first presented it to were people that had gone through attachment trauma. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense that it resonated with them because uh, they were mostly orphans in London. Um, and so, but then he also had his own attachment trauma. And it's really striking because there are so many metaphors of sin and grace in scripture, um, you know, being lost and found, um, you know, being uh, children or being orphans and adopted, um, you know, there are all these yeah. pictures, but uh, in the churches I went to, it was always going back to that theme of like, you know, there's something really broken or rotten about you. Yep. Um and so undoing that is, um, is a process of healing mm -hmm. from that. Um, but that's where I, I think that exercise that you mentioned is one of the best places to start. Um, because, yeah. um, we, what we think is if I could get clean enough, or if I could get forgiven enough, then I won't feel this way anymore. Right. Because we're told it's because you're sinful that you feel like you're broken and rotten. And if you're not sinful anymore, then you'll feel better. Um, but the reality is, is you feel that way when you feel like you're un unlovable um, and unloved. 
And so the more that you can notice that feeling of being loved, the more that that feeling goes away. And so finding people in your life, and maybe if there's not a person in your life, maybe there's a pet in your life mm-hmm. uh, that loves you, you know, I like to that's say, right. You, like, you mentioned that in that uh, exercise. Yeah. 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 Like maybe if you're, you know, if you have a dog, like if you can imagine that God feels like a 10th of the way your dog feels yes. about you, like, yes. how would that change? the way that you, uh, you know, view God. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And it, it, that fits a lot with what we know about psychology currently, um, is that, you know, our brain really, our brains need images and metaphors. And unfortunately the, the, the way that our brains work and respond to metaphor is so powerful and if we're given these really toxic metaphors early mm. in our lives, Um, It really shapes the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see God. Yep. I don't know if it was your book or another book that talked about this, but I, this resonated with me because I was taught that, that um, Jesus had to die on the cross for us. And then he was our go between. So God Mm -hmm. can't look at us because we're Mm -hmm. so disgusting, Mm -hmm. but Jesus, thank goodness, Jesus is going to stand between us and God and so I was pictured myself like peeking around the corner, you know, mm-hmm. peeking around the edge of Jesus, like to make, but, you know, hoping that God wouldn't see me because mm-hmm. I'm just this ugly, decrepit little thing. That is, that is a big fat lie. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not true. Mm-hmm. But, and that it, but it sound that is what I grew up 100% believing. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I thought that was the gospel that, but mm-hmm. anyway, it's that kind of stuff. It, and that picture in my mind is just, um, I don't picture that anymore. Now I picture, I picture other things, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's been, I, I just think that um, deconstructing all of the this theology that we grew up with, and I like how you pointed out, a lot of it is metaphors, it is stories and pictures in our mind that we were taught from the time we were small, mm-hmm. is going to be part of the process of actually healing our relationship with God, and then feeling like we can actually be close to him. And I want to say too, that God is 100%, I tell people, God is he is so close to you. He's like all around you and in you. And he's like right up in your face all the time. We just don't see him because we're not because of what, what's what we're not believing or not believing in our minds. And so seeing him is going to involve working with those neural connections in our brains that, um, that are preventing us from actually, they go hand in hand. I wanted to um, close by, I actually wanted to read a couple of reviews that I found on Amazon about this book that I thought were really good. You have lots of, I think it's a five, I think you have all five stars. There might mostly. be mostly, okay. well, there's always one or two, you know, that, yes, right. but um, anyway, it's been, and when did it, when did this come out? Didn't this just In come out February. this year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just this year. So that's amazing. Um, Here's what someone said. This is by far one of the most healing books I have read. Mayfield uses his understanding of attachment science to explain to us how our attachment style impacts our relationship with God. He discusses in depth the three attachment styles, anxious, shame-filled, and shut down, what leads to them, and what each kind of attachment style with God looks like. Here are the things I found most helpful. And I'm reading this because I I totally agree with this. Number one, the description of a healthy, loving parent. 
helpful parenting information in and of itself, which I totally agree with, and translating that to God. Number two, the direct quotes from various Christian leaders, both past and present, that have reinforced the unhealthy messages that undergird the beliefs about God and our connection to him. And number three, ways for each attachment style to heal into a healthy attachment to God. And you also provide a, a kind of, it's like a quiz or an evaluation. Mm -hmm. You can answer these questions to find out what your attachment style is with God. And um, that's also helpful. And then he says, or she says, I must say it was super helpful to be, have been given the vocabulary and framework to understand what I have experienced, but could not articulate. And it was so helpful to see how the shame-filled messages of my childhood have been reinforced rather than challenged by the messages I have received from my Christian community and influences. Mm -hmm. um, the book gave me a path forward to see and experience God in a different light based on his character. It was incredibly healing. And then one, I'll read one more that I thought was good. <clears throat> it's only March, but I feel, so this is, must've been someone who got your book <laughs> right when it came out. It's only March, but I feel confident this book will be in my top 10 for the year. I have to say it's in my top 10 for sure. Um, and I read a lot of books. Okay. Crispin Mayfield draws <laughs> on his expertise as a therapist to apply attachment science to faith. I have attended some of my dad's foster parent trainings on attachment and I'm somewhat familiar with attachment science as an early childhood educator. So I was intrigued to read about how it could apply in a faith context. In this powerful, important book, Crispin describes the styles of attachment and how they impact our relationship with God. Um, blah, blah, blah. He kind of says what the other one says. Reading this book gave me a different framework to consider how and why my faith has shifted over the past five years. So I just want to point out who, whoever's listening, who's thinking, who may, might be feeling panicky. Like, why is my faith changing? Why is everything kind of falling apart? That's actually a really, really good thing. You want it to fall apart so that you can figure out what actually is of substance and, and what's actually real and what isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, they say, I saw so many direct connections between what he explained and what I've experienced in my deconstruction and reconstruction journey. It helped me realize that most of my healing and relationship to God has been related to attachment wounds, many of which are often perpetuated in the church. I can't recommend this book enough, especially for those who've been wounded in Christian settings. This is a must read. And it really is. So I hope your book gets, I hope after this podcast episode gets out that your book actually rises up in the, you know, how Amazon does that. <laughs> yeah. it, like if everyone uh -huh. buys it, then it goes back up again. So it'll be exciting to see. Yeah. Everyone needs to get this book. You guys will love it. It'll be one of your go-tos. So, yeah. and it will help your parenting. It'll help. It'll help how you parent yourself. I feel like reparenting mm -hmm. yourself is so important. Um, and then of course, obviously it'll help your own feelings of attachment to God. So do you have anything you want to say to before we close out? I just appreciate that so much. It's just nice to hear. And it's also really nice to hear that what I was, what was like really personally important to me is resonating with people that are reading. I think that um, one of the most important things for me um, was just, you know, this idea of like, I, I feel this way but I don't know how to put words to it. And so yeah. 
I've heard that a lot. Um, you know, just that idea of like, we we're told these things like God loves you, but it doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> and so, um, so I, I just, yeah, I hope that it continues to help people. Um, and I really appreciate the conversation today. I appreciate the work you're doing. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and thank you to everyone who's listening until next time, fly free.